Welcome to the Mortcast on CSG. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wine, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Why am I giving the address in this time of a pandemic? Well, they're still in operation. They can still get you your wine. Um, and in fact, they're doing a bunch of things to kind of reach out to you during this time when you're having to stay home and you're having to keep six feet away from people as much as possible. Um, they are doing virtual wine tastings, which are an absolute smash. Uh, I've been reliably told that this is going really, really well for Blanchard. I think you should take that up too. Go to Blanchard Family Wine, uh, and wine, so look up Blanchard Family Wines and go to their website, look up virtual tastings, sign yourself up for some classes, sign yourself up for these really joyous experiences. Um, they're on Facebook and Instagram. And in fact, I really suggest getting in touch with them on Facebook. Uh, it's a great, convenient way to uh, interact with Blanchard Family Wines. Um, they are still one of my favorite places for to get wine in Denver. They've got Pinots, they've got Cabs, they've got... Uh, Rieslings, which uh, in partnership with Storm Cellars on the Western Slope, um, they have got it all. And plus, they got a whole bunch of charcuterie, which is really, really well done. Great cheese, great meat. You will enjoy it. And you can go get, sign up for your virtual uh, wine tastings and get a package in the mail. And you can participate in your own home with a fantastic wine tasting. And it's one of the best experiences you could possibly have during this unfortunate pandemic we're going through. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, They are available for pickup and in-town delivery. So if you're in Denver or the Denver metro area, they will deliver to you. Um, or they will uh, deliver it um, or ship it to you, anything that you need, or you could pick it up at Blanchard Family Wines. Uh, great experience, Blanchard Family Wines. If you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, today, we're going to talk about something. Now that the last dance is over, I think everyone who listens to this podcast has... Uh, has uh, probably, at least at the very least, you have watched most, if not all, of The Last Dance. And The Last Dance really, I can't call it, I can't call it a documentary. I can call it a info, not not even infotainment. It was, it was a series of entertainment that was done cynically, probably, for the sole purpose of Michael Jordan reminding everyone that he is the greatest player of all time. And it did, did its job, uh, specifically for me who remember watching Jordan or the people who never watched him. I think this was a very big reminder of who exactly Michael Jordan is and who and why he is considered the greatest of all time. Now, I may have mentioned this on previous podcasts, so if I haven't, I will reiterate it here. Um, I was not a Michael Jordan fan. In fact, I didn't like Michael Jordan at all when I, in the 90s. Um, I was not a fan of anything. I was really upset when they would win titles. Um, and it was, it was a reaction to something that I think was a very uniquely 90s thing. And this is something that I'm speaking to people who are my age, Gen Xers, who grew up in an era where you are, were more team-identified 
and you weren't necessarily player identified, which is really what Jordan ushered in was the 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 uh, era of not having necessarily team allegiance but player allegiance. Um, that really took flight with Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan was the biggest athlete on the planet. Um, his time on the Dream Team really accelerated that and made it a worldwide phenomenon. Um, I hated it. I was a Knicks fan. I was think I was a Knicks fan largely because I was just the opposite end of the Bulls. Um, I got sick of seeing the Bulls um, every single time I turned. I mean, there was this, uh, for those who were too young to remember this, um, obviously people play the NBA on NBC theme, Round Ball Rock, that was composed by John Tesh. Uh, still the best theme of all time, and maybe that's more of a nostalgic feel on my part. But the actual uh, NBA on NBC was an interesting thing, and it kind of is what increased the popularity. Um, basketball wasn't necessarily omnipresent as it is right now. I mean, we don't think of basketball being as on uh, the NBA specifically being as omnipresent as say uh, the NFL is right now because they have they don't have regional sports networks like every other league does. The NFL has one national TV contract and they all get played on national TV. But the closest it's ever come is the 90s when you would have the NBA on NBC, triple header, uh, either on a Saturday or a Sunday, where they would play three NBA games in a row. Uh, most of the time two, but sometimes three. And I would look forward to the triple headers. Well, the Jordan's Bulls were on every single freaking Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the Saturday matinee games and the Sunday games. They would play back-to-back playoff games, too. And it was just, you were saturated with Jordan. Um, he was, Jordan was everywhere in the way you could watch it. I mean, not like this is pre-league pass. Um, you really, if you were a fan, if you were wanting, you were curious about the rest of the NBA, your only real solution outside of watching your own home team's broadcasts when they would play these other teams in the NBA is that you would watch the NBA on NBC. So if you wanted um, to see Bulls versus Cavs, which was a frequent thing in the in the 90s, um, particularly the early part of the 90s when the NBA was better, um, you would just go there and the, you, generally they would be part of the first part of the triple header. And then, of course, it would progress until there was a West Coast game on the, on the, in the PM slot on the NBA and NBC thing. What it did was it focused everyone and it made everyone, it made it destination TV, um, which you don't have anymore because of league pass. And the fact that uh, TNT and ESPN are not as good as NBC was at, uh, because it wasn't basic cable, excuse me, it wasn't just network TV. Uh, You couldn't, right now it's still ESPN and it's still, uh, TNT, and even though TNT and TBS, it was TBS back in the day, it wasn't TNT, um, would um, air these games. Well, I got sick of Jordan. I just got so, so sick of him. And there's a very uniquely 90s aspect to this. And it really, this, this documentary really made me explore my own psyche and why I am <clears throat> such a Nuggets fan, and when I was a fan of this team, when it wasn't in popular to do so, which is most of my existence, um, and it has to do with the rejection of hype, rejection of superstar, rejection of you're a star, there must be something wrong with you, and it was really closely aligned with music. Um, my favorite band of all time 
all time is the Black Crows. Um, talk about a band that was really difficult to like. Um, after their Southern Harmony and Musical Companion tour ended, cycle ended in 1993, they just got increasingly worse <clears throat> to follow. They would make inexplicable, inexplicable decisions. They would um, make these really druggy, um, almost... Uh, I mean, I would say Three Snakes and One Charm, the album they released in 1996, was uh, like almost like a throwback to the early 70s. Um, and I don't think they were necessarily trying to do that. That's just what they made. But they would make, they would reject promotion. They would do all that. Very 90s. Very 90s ethos for, with that. Because a lot of bands, particularly you'll find this in grunge bands, hated the concept of stardom. Um, and my generation is uniquely cynical. Uh, I don't think there has been a generation before or since that has been as cynical about stardom as Gen Xers. And um, the Black Crow is my favorite band. Uh, you'll find people who are my age, um, so you're talking about 42 to 46, really identified with the band. Um, now, of course, there was a book that came out this last year by uh, the, their former drummer, Steve Gorman, who uh, at one time was a sports talk host and, and does a radio show on Westwood One now called Steve Gorman Rocks. Um, he had a book earlier out this year about the Black Crows, and it just confirmed everything I knew about the band, being a um, cynical shoot-yourself-in-a-foot kind of operation um, that I had an absolute obsession with and still do to this day. Um, but it was this this uniquely uncomfortable relationship with stardom that permeated their career. Um, you make great music, and you hate it that people like it. And I think that part is something that that kind of was absorbed into me and my two older brothers, that we just rejected hype, rejected stardom rejected all those trappings that came with it. And the funny, the ironic thing about this is, is Jordan is, and this was, I heard this described on another podcast. He's a very eighties symbol that thrived in the nineties. Um, Jordan really is an eighties basketball player. He wasn't a nineties basketball player, but his icon exists through the decade of the nineties. He is, almost single-mindedly capitalistic and all that stuff. Now, I'm not going to get into politics here, but the the, the kind of aura that surrounds Jordan is very much different than the way that people <clears throat> associate people from my generation um, associating with me. I mean, look, my friends and I were... We, you come of age basically in the early 90s. And during that time, grunge comes out. Kurt, Kurt Cobain could famously struggled with his own stardom, and it eventually led to his suicide in 1994. Uh, I wasn't a fan of Nirvana. In fact, I didn't like Nirvana because they were popular. And it was this constant push-pull that made my generation, and specifically anyone who came of age in the 90s, unique. And I don't think it's repl replicable. Um, I don't think LeBron can replicate the weird aesthetic that Jordan and the Bulls had over that decade. Because, uh, let me be blunt with everyone, the NBA was never popular than it was in, from 95 to 98. It wasn't. Uh, even though the league was terrible, 
even though teams were weak and the talent was diluted for that time and all the way up to 2003, um, the star of Jordan drug the NBA up with him. And you kind of see that part in uh, in this um, documentary slash entertainment thing, propaganda piece, that the NBA was a singularly cultable personality at that point in time. It kind of was in the 80s with uh, Bird and Magic, but Bird and Magic were different. They very much were 70s guys in the 80s. There's this out-of-time element to a lot of basketball. Um, LeBron is uh, the first athlete who came about and basically openly said he wanted to increase his brand. Jordan never really went there other than with that unfortunate time when he said Republicans buy shoes too, right? Um, experiencing this whole thing, and my, speaking for me personally, experiencing the phenomenon that was Jordan during these this, that six of eight years was incredible, um, and I hated it, and I loved it at the same time because basketball was popular. And it, was, it, it laid bare the struggle of popular identity and associating success with cynicism. Um, and it made enjoying these games almost impossible for me in the late 90s. And I got I to gotta tell you, I mean, after Jordan came back at the tail end of the 94-95 season, uh, basketball for me became much more of a chore. And it became something that I didn't necessarily associate with something I wanted to see. Um, and it kind of distanced my relationship with the game. And I will kind of go a little further into that after I talk about our new sponsor on CSG. DraftKings, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, CSG has stepped into DraftKings. Um, look, gambling is uh, finally sports, excuse me, specifically sports gambling, uh, sports betting and going to and, and seeking uh, betting from a sports book is now legal in Colorado uh, as of, I believe, the 1st of May. And uh, this is going to change things. And DraftKings is there on the ground floor to kind of make sure um, that you are shepherded in the right way into uh, just associating yourself and ingratiating yourself with uh, sports betting sports, uh, and the uh, kind of the aura around a sports book. If you're not someone who goes to Vegas all the time, DraftKings is there to help you out. Um, they are finally here. Uh, DraftKings brought uh, legal sports betting to Colorado. Understandably, it may have flown under the radar, considering the times we are in right now, but sports are coming back eventually. Uh, just imagine how much more fun watching a game will be when you uh, have some skin in the game. Of course, money, uh, wanting to bet, prop bet, anything like that, DraftKings has you covered. And the best way to get in on the action is with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. This isn't some offshore operation like other gambling sites. Uh, DraftKings is a legitimate sportsbook right here in the U.S., so you can be confident that your funds are secure. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from whenever, wherever and whenever. Uh, and you don't even have to leave your house, which is, at this point, very key. Um, so this weekend, there will be a clash of titans, legend versus legend, goat versus goat, Story old as time. And if that isn't enough to get you to tune in, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering a special promotion. Just play $20 in bets on a big event, and you'll receive free 
a $20 live bet. Bet 20, get 20. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a sign-up bonus of $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is a sign, has a sign-up bonus for $1,000. Don't forget, enter code MHS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 and older and Colorado only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So going through the 90s, it was really hard for me to identify, or like me to identify. Just, I couldn't stand the Bulls. Just couldn't stand them. Uh, if you talk to anyone in my family, it will tell you how much I dislike Michael Jordan. And I don't know if it's necessarily anything other than a, uh, just a lack of wanting to associate myself with the hype. And the hype just got to me. Just got to me. The, the inability it's it's kind of hard to explain because LeBron will never match the kind of aura that that Jordan had because of the unique set of circumstances that propelled Michael Jordan. Uh, media is too omnipresent right now, so it's social media. Um, there's almost an oversaturation of things. Uh, Michael Jordan was in the key places at the best times and with the best commercials, with the best kind of marketing, and he won consistently. And it kind of... Uh, kind of made it almost impossible to get away from him in a larger cultural sense. Obviously, Space Jam comes out in 96. Um, there are a bunch of things that are happening right there that just really propelled Michael Jordan's star. At the end of the 90s, things became a lot less cynical. People really embraced um, what it was to be a star at that point in time. Um, and Jordan was that thing. Now, me, I'm a Nuggets fan. We've only known misery. Uh, From 91 to 95, I was a New York Knicks fan. So basically the Riley-era Knicks, which is really what their peak was during the Ewing era. And it's almost like I was wanting to be miserable because both of those, (laughs) the Nuggets' ineptitude or the the, uh, Knicks' inability to get past the Bulls, it's almost like I was being a glutton for punishment. You know, I can look at that now for the benefit of hindsight and someone is well into his 40s right now and say that, look, this is exactly what was going on. I was rejecting the hype. Uh, and my hype rejection is undoubtedly something that propelled me in my sports liking and sports fandom. And if you see me and my takes on Twitter whenever I eventually do that or when I used to write or you know, even on this podcast, it's really formulated and shaped by my experiences as, you know, I've always had this theory that you're, whatever you're, you are as a basketball fan is fundamentally shaped by when you fell in love with the game. So my period was basically 1987 to, you know, 1995, 94, right? No, i say 95. Uh, that was my experience with loving the game. And that was a cynical era, um, and embodied by the shows that were on television, 
the uh, music that was coming out at the time. It was very pessimistic. There was, um, you know, to, to use a musical analogy, um, in the 90s, college, there was something called college rock, and then there was alt rock. Um, this was something that was kind of percolating underground. People like R.E.M., um, the replacements, um, bands like that were kind of a representative. Of the, you know, the, the bands were almost regionally popular in the United States back when you could be regionally popular. And that, along with a British band named James um, and others, kind of sprang into the forefront about 1990 to 92, okay? And that really made the conditions right for bands like Grunge to come in and develop their own special kind of cynicism and shape the course of the way people thought, particularly in the first half of the decade. And my rejection of Michael Jordan, basically, mentally at least, basically follows along those lines. He's hyped. It was everywhere. Stardom is pointless. Stardom is cynical. I don't. I don't. Re, I don't accept stardom. And it kind of was part of the overall ethos of the part of that decade. I'm the one who embraced it because I was mostly a music fan, and I think I was, undoubtedly that was shaped by it. Watching the Last Dance has kind of reminded me how good Michael Jordan was, and without a shadow of a doubt, the best player in. NBA history, the best winner, everything. Just never, never been anything like Gordon, Jordan, Gordon. Never <laughs> been like Jordan since, and they will never be anything like him afterwards. You can't replicate Michael Jordan. You can't duplicate him. You can't duplicate what he did. He's very uniquely Michael Jordan, and the NBA has been chasing its tail since. Um, I still don't like him. Um, the, everything I disliked about Michael Jordan was everything that came out in this do- documentary. Um, the, the, you know, he even had his own cynicism about stardom, his own cynicism about the way things went for him uh, and his, like, isolation and all that stuff. But that will to win is something that really is, makes him uniquely Jordan. Uh, everyone wants to win. No one wants to win like Michael Jordan. And that part has definitely reminded me of how good he is, and also reminded me how much I disliked him. And I don't, and I don't think that is something that I will ever feel again. I don't think that specific feeling that I had can ever be replicated. And if people have commented over and over how, like, it seems like I hate basketball now, that's not true. I just am older and more cynical now. And that cynicism translates to the way I am. I mean, I, I, I was, I've always been cynical, but as you get older, it's just, a, it's just an age-based cynicism at this point, you know? Cynicism as being part of your DNA is different from age-based cynicism, where you're just like, you know, kids these days, blah, blah, blah. Um, I like the game of basketball. It's not something that I'm used to seeing, Particularly if you remember my last podcast, I'm talking about how it's kind of become a funhouse mirror. Um, it's oblong shaped. It's 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 not bearing any resemblance to the basketball that I remember. But 
I still love the game of basketball. And I can reconcile it in my head, but a lot of people can't, particularly people who grew up post-Jordan. Um, they have a certain mindset. They, have the, they don't have necessarily the laundry mindset that I do. I am single, singly a Nuggets fan, right? And a lot of people don't associate team fandom. They, they associate player fandom. And I've never been able to do that. Um, and it's something that I don't think I can probably transition out of. They always say that basketball is a young person's sport. That's definitely true. It really is true. But my love of the game is still there. My appreciation for the way it's played isn't necessarily what it is for your average 18 to 25-year-old. It's just not there. Does that make me less of a fan? I don't know, maybe. Uh, it may actually make me less of a fan, but I appreciate the game differently. And I'm trying to learn to evolve in fighting my 90s ethos. Uh, and maybe I'll succeed. One of these days, maybe I'll succeed. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. I will be talking to you later. Goodbye.